Mulini, Mulini. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Perspective, where we'll um, gain the perspective of a friend that I made a few years ago, Rito Klungwani. Rito, welcome to Fresh Perspective. I'm look forward to share your perspective with everyone here today. Thank you for being on on the the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Franco. Really excited. I'm really looking forward to doing this podcast with you. Great, great. So those of you listening now, we had to do a, a, a second take because I did not record the session. So we had to start again. And Rita was just like, let's do it. No problem. <laughs> Rita, thank you. So first question, um, what is it that you do, Rita? Um, yeah, the easiest way to put it is I'm a rugby coach. Right. Um, yeah, fortunate enough to be coaching the Stormers currently. Currently, you're, you're with the Stormers. Yes. Okay, cool. what, what does it mean to be a coach? What does a coach do? <laughs> yeah, look, I think if you go into different environments, uh, you realize that coaching happens in totally different ways. But if, if, if I was to sort of describe my, my environment, you know, if you walked in there, it would be sort of a collaborative session. Uh, a lot of que- I ask a lot of questions. There's a lot of discussions. Uh, ideas are drawn up from the players and not everything comes from me. So it's more like a, an interactive environment where, you know, we want one common thing, but we discuss and share ideas, disagree to get to it. Yes, yes. That was one of the things that stood out for me about your approach when we worked uh, at the Western Province Rugby Institute uh, together there. Um, why do you approach it like that? Look, I'm a strong believer that two, two minds are always better than one, you know, and I, I always feel like the next person could know a little bit more than me. Or if I create a dialogue with them, they might open up something else in me. They might help me expand my ideas and sort of my knowledge. They might spark something in my mind. So I, I enjoy asking people questions, hearing their perspective, because I feel that helps me grow a little bit more. You're always throwing the ball, you know, metaphorically back to the player. So what did, what did you notice? What did you see? And how, how do you think we can fix that or improve yeah. that? Yes. And I think that whole process, Francois, sort of helps the players to become better problem solvers. Because playing rugby, you know, you can never predict what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. You, you sort of want to equip the player with those problem-solving skills that when you're not there as a coach, you're sitting in the box far away and he encounters a problem, he needs to solve that problem. And the more we do it, the better the players become at it. You know, they become, they start solving problems quicker and in a better way. And, and in many cases, they start helping each other. That makes sense. So they, they kind of like start coaching one another. Is that what you mean? As well. Yes, yeah, 100%. Because we, we've, in our meetings, we create that sort of safe environment where if player A says one, two, three, player B can add more information to it or can slightly disagree, you know? And then that dialogue sort of opens up. It, it makes everyone free. And in a way that, I mean, safe, in a way that you're happy to take uh, criticism, you're happy to be given feedback and because you know everyone around you sort of wants the same thing. Yeah, yeah. How did you develop that style of coaching? 
Yeah, look, it's quite interesting because it, when I was a player, none of the coaches that coached me coached this way. And, <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that was, was in uh, what the 1960s. <laughs> when, when did you play? <laughs> you know, it, it was more. I mean, I used to. I remember being coached by Nick Mallet and I, I was sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, this guy is smart. You know, he yeah. stood in front and ex broke down, simplified the game, said everything and um, walked out of that meeting. I hadn't said a word. No one else had spoken except him. You know, we thought it was great. You know, and then through my reading and research, you know, you Sorry, started... Rita, sorry. You, you, yeah. it, the, the internet stopped where you said you walked out of the room. You pick it, yeah, pick it up yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying we walked out of the room thinking, geez, that guy is smart. He knows the game. He's amazing. But a couple of years later, I questioned whether we'd actually learn as much as we could from all the things that he said, because he was just talking. Uh, maybe did not uh, ask us what we really thought about it, even though we thought, wow, this is brilliant. This is mind blowing. But we didn't okay. really know the steps that it took to get to those, to, to those points. Okay. And as, as the years went, you know, everything I know is through research, meeting people like you and, and a whole lot of other people. You sort of learn that there's better ways of coaching. And I'm, I'm far away from where I want to be, but every day with a new book or new podcast I listen to, uh, a new person that I meet, I sort of start, I make that whole process better. So it's, to, to make it a short answer, I learned this, I developed this through reading and research. Okay. I know that you do a lot of reading and, and research. So what, what, who's some of the big influences in terms of helping you develop this coaching style, which is more like a, a dialogue approach? Yeah, look, uh, currently I'm a big fan of a guy called Steve Kerr. Um, he's uh, currently coaching the Golden State Warriors. Uh, he he played with Michael Jordan. I don't know if you watched that whole documentary. Very good player, but he understands, you know, that players, because they play the game, they know a little bit more at times, uh, more than him. So he's sort of he's one of the guys that I look look at and and sort of learn from at this stage, you know. And obviously, there's Phil Jackson is also NBA coach. Um, Arsene Wenger from Arsenal was also like that, and you know. So there's, those are just a few names that have sort of helped me develop this uh, philosophy. Okay, makes sense. Uh, um, uh, I watched The Last Dance and I read Michael Jordan's uh, autobiography as well. Um, it's very interesting the mindset that 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 kind of that caliber yeah. of player has, and also Phil Jackson, the coach of the the Bulls during that time as well. That that mindset and approach, you know, um, helping players center themselves yeah. and be present in the moment and things like that, I found very fascinating. Um, so to latch onto that approach of yours, Rita, how do you feel players adapt to that? Like you said, you weren't coached that way. And now they meet someone that yeah, they have a coach that actually they keep that keeps passing the ball back to them and say, okay, what do you think? Do they adapt quickly or do, do they, you know, does it take quite a while to, to create that kind of culture? Yeah, I think 
at the level that I'm in now, you know, I'm I'm sitting with very experienced players. Uh, one player would be the best player in the world. The other guy's got a hundred Super Rugby caps. Um, other guy's a Springbok captain, and. Yeah. From my point of view, it, it would be totally wrong of me to tell these guys that have so much experience, this is what we're going to do, that's how we're going to do it. So I feel they actually appreciate that I show the fact that I think you guys might know the solutions without me having to intervene. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think you guys can come up with the solutions. Uh, and I think they grasp it really well. Uh, I think my biggest challenge is that if you get into a room where one player is the best player in the world and then there's a 19-year-old who's just come out of high school or the institute, my, my challenge or, or it would be definitely to make sure that the one player participates as much as the other. Yeah. You know, it's sort of getting that equilibrium in the middle, making sure that everyone participates because the 20-year-old, can also contribute. He sees it differently. You know, he sees a picture totally differently to the older player. So for me, I actually, my I call it my Billy Elliot moment. I'll explain to you later what that is. Is <laughs> when the young guys. <laughs> I like that. Is, is when the young guys. <laughs> is when the young guys can contribute just as much as the older boys. So I think the players take they take it pretty well, you know, the fact that I I, I let them contribute. You know, whereas maybe some guys have been are used to being told what to do and it takes a little bit longer to draw information from them, but it's part of the process, you know. Uh-huh. And, and so it's more like you facilitate that dialogue and that conversation for the players. Okay. Yes. And, okay. and, and you, you know it's going well when you, you, you're creating, you're starting to ask those complex, deep questions and you're still getting answers and the dialogue sort of leaves the coach and moves on to the player. So it starts, the ideas start going around the room and it's like you're not present anymore. The, the players actually even forget that there's a coach in there. You know, so that, that for me, again, would be a Billy Elliot moment that I, I really enjoy in coaching. Very, very cool. I love that. And, and where do you see your place to actually bring your insights? So you are the guy studying, you know, the mindset of different kinds of coaches and players. How do you then take that and, and also make sure that you find a way to deposit that knowledge and that, that perspective, that mindset into the player's um, way of thinking and approaching the game? Yeah, very good question. Because at some stage, if, if you ask questions the whole time, some players, you know, might think, geez, why is the coach always asking us the questions? Does he actually <laughs> know the answers, you know? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it happens. And for me, I, sort of, I do it in different ways. Most of the time I try to drive... I know what the end product should look like in my head. And I try to drive the players in that route. Sometimes I totally change along the way. But there are times where France, or I have to show the boys that, okay, I know my work. Um, I won't create a dialogue. I'll stand in front and I'll try to blow their mind the same way Nick Mullet blew my mind when I was a co- uh, as, as a player couple of years ago, you know, just sometimes to show that, okay, 
not that I'm boss, but boys, I'm the coach. I know what I'm talking about. I do my research, but I'm all, I'm just more interested in knowing that you and I see the same picture. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like that, Rita. So you, you don't discard the one for the other. You kind of keep both. And both of those ways of approaching and coaching and guiding people um, towards a goal, towards change, towards growth, um, builds trust. Because if they see, okay, you know what you're talking about and you're confident in what you're sharing with them, that builds trust. But also you believe in them and you want to equip them to actually also be problem solvers. 100%. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a good point that you make. You, you, you should never sort of let the other part disappear, you know, because uh-huh. both are needed. Uh, and in, depending on the environment that you're in, you, you might sometimes have to use the other one a little bit more. But in my environment currently, I feel the interaction, the chats and, and the questioning is more, uh, bears more fruits than me standing in front and trying to tell players things that they already know. So what do you feel is like the, the things that determine player success? What do you feel are like the key ingredients that, that makes or causes one player to grow rapidly and another one maybe to go a bit slower? Oh, lose it. I mean, one common thing uh, among great players, the guys that are great, it, has always been work ethic. You know, the guy that's willing to work a little bit extra, put in a little bit extra. Usually, there's very few players that have been great in their code that were not hard workers. I would say that's definitely one of the things that differentiate the great players from other than not good enough or just good. Just the work ethic. And how, how do the players actually influence you as a person? How does your role in trying to guide these players to achieve a, a, you know, a, a common goal, how does that affect you as a person and, and actually impact your life? Um, yeah, look, it, it's, it's, it's quite tricky because sometimes you come out of, I come out of meetings, I'm feeling, geez, I've, these guys just inspire me. I don't know if I'm inspiring them as much as they're inspiring me um, because of the ideas that they're sharing, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I think one thing that helps me a lot is, is that I, I'm quite vulnerable in front of the players. I'm very clear and sort of letting them know that, boys, I don't know everything, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. I won't have all the answers, but if we talk about, we talk about it, we discuss it, we'll find the best solution. And so in terms of how they influence me, is like uh, I get, it sort of blows my mind how smart the players can be if you allow them to be, you know what I mean? If you create that environment, you know, it's like these boys are sharp, they're smart. They don't actually need a coach, you know. You don't have to tell them what to do. You just throw in a little bit there and a little bit there, but, um, it just, what it does for me just sort of helps me sort of, it vindicates, if I may say, my approach. That you've got to listen to the next person. You've got to hear their opinion. How do you, uh, Rita, how do you see people um, connecting what they learn in, in something like rugby, in sport, and what it means to perform at a high level there? How do they, 
connect that to actually performing well in life, you know, being successful in life as well. Is that, is that a challenging thing for a player? Is that a challenging thing for a coach to help players do that? And I'm not really talking about balance. I mean, applying the principles that's applicable to a game of rugby to life. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's always a, a, a tricky question because when players, I mean, I, I retired from professional rugby and started working as a quantity surveyor. And there are certain levels, parts of the game that sort of prepare you for life outside of rugby. But um, uh, I, I wasn't well prepared, you know, uh, and mainly maybe because the, the, the environment that I was in did not really um, engage with me as much as I, I needed to be engaged with. It, it did not really ask me provocative questions and stuff like that. And, I feel now, you know, the fact that we're driving this process of helping players solve problems doesn't matter where you go. You know, you should be able to look at a situation, you know, and say, look, there is a solution. Um, how do I get to the solution? And if, if anything, if, if, one, if players could pick up one thing, uh, from the way I coach, hopefully it would be, it's okay to ask the next person, hey man, how can I sort this out? It's okay to say, I don't know. You know, you, you sit the first day on the desk and you get given work straight after being a professional rugby player and the first three hours you're like, actually I've forgotten how to do this. But mm -hmm. you, you don't have the courage to ask the next person. So I think this whole mindset of creating better problem solvers, it, it will prepare players better for life outside of the game. I hope that answers the question. Uh, yeah, in a certain way it does, but it also opens up another one and, and, and kind of gives me a, another insight. That's, that's, that makes a lot of sense that if you actually equip players to solve problems, you know, you, you equip them for life. You know, M. Scott Peck, who wrote The Road Less Travel, he said, life, life is a series of problems. And, and discipline is what we need to solve the problems of life, all kinds of different disciplines. Um, so to me, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So what are some of the, the things that you think also transfer well? So, so problem solving would be one. What other things do you think yeah. transfer well? The first one that pops to mind now would be punctuality. Rugby, all the environments that I've been in, if you if if you five minutes early you are late in in rugby environment <laughs> <laughs> you get there 20 30 minutes before you prepare mentally you get your body right whether it's for a meeting or a training session and, and when players get to industry whatever industry they choose they'll realize that time time is money you know and Arriving on time and being prepared, you know, is one skill that rugby gives you uh, that you value outside of the game. Oh, that makes sense. Um, what impact do you think it has that when you're a professional rugby player, there's a lot of structure given to you? You know, people tell you when to be, when, do what. So some rugby players go and they 
you know, pursue a career. Maybe they studied already or while they were, were doing rugby, they studied. Now they can start that career. So they structure once again. You arrive this time, you do this. But others pursue business and want to be entrepreneurs and things like that where there's no structure. So what kind of role do you, role do you think that plays in being successful after rugby, knowing how to structure your day? Yeah, look, I, I'm... I have to take it this way first. One thing we make the players understand is that their game of rugby is split into two, unstructured and structured. You know what I mean? So there's a structured part of the game where the coach tells you, this is what needs to happen, blah, blah, blah. Oh, we ask you questions and then we, we agree on that. And then there's that other part which you can't really predict, but you try to prepare for. Um, anything can change. There's over a million situations that can happen in a rugby game and no coach can tell you exactly what's going to happen. So I think if, if the players go out of, out of rugby into the business world and, you know, you'll still get that. You know, there's things that structure are structured that require a lot of structure in it and then there's things that, you know, you plan You've got a good structure, but the picture is just never the same. So mm-hmm. I think if you understand that in, in rugby, if you understand the two systems, the, the two uh, parts of the game, you will be able to sort of link that up to a real life and, you know, uh, hopefully make uh, good decisions around those things. That makes sense. And, and what about attitude? Um, do you see, you know, when we work together at, at Western Province Rugby Institute, and um, uh, the young players, you get kind of a, a big spectrum of different attitudes. You know, you were talking about punctuality. And you, yeah. you get players that are brilliant that kind of keep on ignoring those kind of things. And then you get players that really stick to that. Um, what do you see now that you're working with, with you know, next level kind of players, the, the top players in the world, as you, as you mentioned, rugby World Cup winners and so forth. Can you kind of link what you've seen with the younger players in terms of the attitude, the mindset that creates success and what you see in the successful players? Yeah, you know, what's interesting, uh, Francois, is that obviously having been at the Institute is that most of the players, some of the players that I'm coaching now came through the Institute. So I can compare a guy who, who I coached four years ago to now. And, yeah. and, 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 and one thing that's amazing is that you, you sort of need uh, good role models uh, in your system you know, uh, what do they call them? Uh, cultural architects. I think some Barcelona calls them that, you know. If, like that. If, yeah. you, if you get to the HPC, <laughs> uh, to give you an example, if, if you get to the HPC uh, early on a Monday morning, whether it's before or after a game, uh, there'll be, Ruan Nell will always be there way before everyone, way before everyone. And when we get there, he's already trained. You know, he's already done the hard work on his own to do more with the team later. That, that for me, is sort of, you know, is a kind of a, a role model or a cultural architect where a youngster comes in, Ruan is prepared. You know, he's trained. He's done his own training. His, his, his breakfast, he follows a strict diet. Um, 
and he sort of leads the way without putting pressure on the younger players, but they walk in there, they look at this guy, I'm like, wow, if I want to be a good player, if I want to be a Blitzborg, if I want to be a legendary Stormers player, that's, that's the attitude, that's sort of the things that I should look for. You know, and I think if you have players like those in your system, it makes it easy. So for me, it's, it's, it's been interesting to check those players and see the small changes that have ma- they've made along the way. And mostly because when they get to the senior level, they see how Sia uh, is always running in front, that see how Pira Steph is just a hard trainer. He's always, you know, giving his best. So, so they get, their windscreen shows them these world-class players and the things that they're going through. Um, and it sort of maybe clicks in their brain that if I want to get there one day, this is what I need to put in, you know? And I must say, sorry, that it, it's not always the case, right? You know, some, some guys might be brilliant players, but not much of a work ethic. The talent gets them through. You know, you, you do get systems like that where there's one or two guys. They just have it, you know? Uh, they'll come... You know, they'll come five minutes before training. Um, but they still come out on Saturday and perform. But do you feel like those kind of players um, make it to the highest level in the game? Very few, very little. Eh? Very, very few of them would. But there, are, there have been some guys. I mean, if you check other sports, if you listen to Eddie Jones, he'll tell you about Joe Roth. He says that's probably one of the best players he's coached in the world, uh, but lazy. And he says, comes late to meetings, but he's like, this guy, the less he trains, the lazier he becomes, the better he plays. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, makes you wonder what yeah, movie. But so, so they all players there. Yeah. Exactly. He, yeah, no, definitely. He would have been probably the best player in the world. Yeah, yeah probably. And, and um, maybe that's what we see from, um, you know, people like Dan Carter, who's got that talent, but also added, or Johnny, you know, uh, Wilkinson, you know, some of the best players we've had in the world ever to, to be able to uh, be at that level for so long. And achieve that kind of success and have that kind of mindset. Rita, can I jump back to the dialogue space that yeah. you create with the players? So one one thing that you obviously sure. you're trying to to solve problems with within the game, right? So you're coaching. What are you doing in this situation? Um, how do we adjust when the structure doesn't work here, and, and we go to the unstructured part of a game or, or whatever? But what about the dialogue in terms of the bonding of the team, the connection of the team, the friendship, the brotherhood? Does that also happen in that space? And do you feel like your approach actually helps facilitate that kind of connection between players? Um, yeah, I think so. You know, in, in, in the rugby space, we've, I mean, when I played, we, we, we've grown to think that the bonds, the friendships, they actually develop outside the training field when you're having a drink together and stuff like that. But it's much bigger than that. Um, I think, like I said earlier, if, if you create that safe environment 
um, where, you know, the youngest player or the least experienced player can approach a senior player and say, hey, I need a little bit of help with this, you know, and the guy's open to help him. In, in that dialogue, those relationships and friendships and connection, that, that's where it grows, you know? And when you get onto the field, if I'm standing on the other side and something goes wrong on the other on the left, if I'm standing on the right and something goes wrong on the left and I can't see it, it's up to the other player to talk to the other player, to talk to player B and say, hey, man, I think you can do this better by putting your foot there and all of that. So that dialogue is absolutely important to, to sort of improve the connection. Mm-hmm. And for that dialogue to be proper, you need to have that safe environment. I've seen some great things, Francois training, you know, where a young 20-year-old, you know, would go ask a Springbok, uh, a World Cup winner, how can I do this better? You know, and, and the amount, the lessons in that for me is, are pretty amazing because the first thing, you know, two players, one young guy once went to a senior player and said, please, I saw you doing this. Ha, ah, I'd like to try that. How do you do it? The first question was like, maybe show me how you do it first. And I'm like, wow, that's coaching, you know. Yeah. What if this guy's already doing it already? Well, what if he already has the right stance? You know, because he's asking a question about stunts. Like, no, let me see your stance first, and then I'll show you how I do mine. If yours is any different, and the guy shows him his stance, he's like, actually, that that looks actually better than mine. You know, maybe you should try uh, strengthen your 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 upper body, but your hips, your knees, it looks amazing there. You know what I mean? So I don't think you should change it because. Wow, I, I think I might adjust mine to that one, you know. But the fact that this guy first wanted to see what the youngster is doing um, made the the whole difference. No, the youngster is standing there thinking, "Wow, this guy, this great player, has just said that I do something better than him." Uh-huh. I, I think that does a lot in terms of connection, building relationship, and and just creating further enhancing that space of safety. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, so both being vulnerable and honest in, in, actually helps create that safety. 100%. Rita, and what, uh, what are some of your aspirations in terms of, of, of your life? So maybe I can start started this way. So you are a coach and obviously I'm, um, I'm assuming that you love coaching and being able to influence people in this way. But what, what would make you feel like, you know, I've, I've left my mark, I've been successful, I'm doing something important and great? Yeah, look, I think the easiest thing to say now for me would be when players leave my environment, they're just better people. You know, they they just prepared for life. You know, they 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 can use what we've learned from each other to apply <clears throat> to become outside of rugby to become better uh, human beings. That that for me, outside of outside the game, that would be the main thing. I just want people to the players to come out better. 
And and how how do you feel you have the influence to do that? Is it only through that dialogue, or how does how do you approach your your kind of one on one connections and relationship with the players? Well, I, when I talk to players, I'm actually very interested uh, what plans they have uh, after rugby. That's that's one topic I'm always asking players, and I always ask them. Are they prepared for life after rugby? Regardless of what age you are, that's a question I always ask um, because obviously it gets quite tough. I've been through that. And, and through asking that question, then I slowly start trying to guide with my little bit of experience or I might try to push you to a person that might assist you. You know, um, I, I was lucky enough, Francois, to have a degree quantity surveying when I played after, uh, before I played professional rugby but um, like I said earlier I didn't feel that prepared me enough for life uh, outside professional rugby you know so I, I try to give small advice to players every rugby environment's got an off day in the week you know I always tell them I should have gone to go try get some gain some work experience in my off days. There's a lot of company owners that come watch rugby. They'll be willing to have you there, teach you a few things. So the key thing is that you need to utilize your time properly and prepare well for life outside of rugby. There's there's enough time to for you to start uh, practicing that while you're a player. And I think that dialogue helps me build relationship with players. It helps, it creates more dialogue. It creates that whole questioning from them. They want to know, you know, ask me more things. You know, I, I took an attempt into Forex trading a couple of years ago and, and the players are so interested in that, you know, so it's, that for me has helped me sort of get into better relationships and connect more with players because I sort of, ask them to think about their future outside the game. Mm -hmm. So what would be your, your number one, like advice for young youngsters, you know, guys in high school still aspiring to become professional rugby players? Yeah, look, it will sound like a cliche, but my biggest advice would be dream you know, dream and don't be shy about it, you know. Oh, I like that. You can never get into trouble for for dreaming, you know. You can never get into trouble. It's free to dream. <laughs> dream and then chase it with all you have. Yeah, Rita, please say more about that. I love it. You can get into trouble for daydreaming in class, but <laughs> it's still free. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, please, please say more about that. What, what do you mean? Yeah, look, I, I'll put it in, 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 in my perspective because um, when I connect the dots backwards, you know, where I am today, I still don't know how I got here. But um, when I look back, when I was in high school, I wasn't afraid to dream. and and if I was if I was in let's say if I was in standard eight now, is it grade ten? Yes. And and I dreamt of being the Stormers coach. It, it would be almost like dreaming to 
grow wings and 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 fly it will be like dreaming to be a lion you know it's like it's 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 crazy it shouldn't even get into your mind you know but geez, i i wasn't scared to dream there's certain things that i didn't achieve in my life but the ability to dream just takes you to levels that you can never um imagine you know and and dreaming for me is the starting point you know and sometimes you know the old saying you dream for the stars or something like it or you end up on top of the mountain or whatever they say but the mindset for me is that it's free you it will take you somewhere if you don't get there you'll get close enough you know i i wanted to be a springbok player you know uh, i never got there but i think that dream of of wanting to be a springbok player took me close enough to play for western province being part of the stormers um but uh if i dreamed to be just a provincial player maybe i would have just been a good varsity cup player uh-huh. you know but I understand yeah, what you mean. I, and and i must tell you i chased that yeah i i chased i chased that dream like there's no tomorrow you know i didn't get there but i look back now i'm like i actually got obsessed about it wanted to get there so badly chased it so hard didn't get there but i'm happy with where i am now mm-hmm. i really like the the way you you put it now rita if you connect the dots backwards um and thinking of that little you know that 16 year old grade 10 boy you know he wouldn't wouldn't have dreamt being where you are now and that's what you're encouraging young boys to do yeah. dream about those big things yeah. get that image in your head get get a clear picture of what you want to aim for um obviously because that also helps you clarify and ask a question how do i get there can i yeah. can i ask you one more question yeah. about the dream thing rita um yeah. what's the difference for you between dreaming unrealistically and dreaming big Oh well unrealistically I, i would say you probably are not prepared to put in the work ah. you know um dreaming dreaming big you can sort of see the way but it the way you see it in your mind it's accurate but it's not really accurate it's just like an the unstructured part of the game it will mm. there'll be a lot of rolling stones coming down the mountain as you try to climb it things will change you know you'll get injured you know so as long as you see there's a little bit of a path and and you know that you have to put in hard work into it i think mm-hmm. makes it dreaming big rather than dreaming unrealistically and just sitting and waiting for it to happen mm-hmm. so i think if you're willing to put in the work it becomes dreaming big if you not then it's unrealistic no i understand that makes a lot of sense uh and that gets me fired up so now i want to know what what's your big dream now <laughs> you're not a 60 year old boy anymore <laughs> what what are you dreaming about now <laughs> um friends uh, for me i would say i'll say it in a few words so um 
having done a lot of research, having watched a lot of sport, um, I I dream of having creating a dynasty or just being part of creating a dynasty, and and that would be in a way of winning multiple championships and being an environment that everyone wants to come and learn from. You know, everyone wants to come and say, you guys are amazing. You won four trophies in a row. How do you guys do it? How, how do you communicate to your players? How do you run your meetings? You know, mm. uh, and, and, and in that way, hopefully, you know, create that environment where we can slowly share, you know, our culture, the way we do things. You know, we're such a diverse environment. You know, there's Africans, Shangan, Kosa, English speakers. But when you mix that up in a pot, Francois, nicely, you, you get something amazing. And, and the world needs to see that. The world needs to see that. So I, I want, that's my dream, to create a dynasty that can draw people around the world to come want to learn more about us and how different we are, but yet we work together pretty well. I love that, Rita. I love that. And I'm sure that uh, you'll get there. I'm sure that you'll be able to do that because watching you work with the youngsters and, and seeing how honest, humble, uh, um, curious you are, you know, you were always, um, whenever we got a chance, you were always asking me questions like you just explained. So I know that's, that's true. Engaging yeah. and, and, and yeah. trying to, to um, learn something from me, which I felt very privileged and honored to be able to share what the little I know that might help you on, on your path. Um, so on to my last question. Um, what do you feel is like your superpower? I think just to, <laughs> I just wanted to add on to that que that statement you were making because it's quite interesting when you meet Francois, um, it's like you come out maybe knowing yourself a little bit better. That's how I felt when I first met you. <laughs> because of the questions you ask, it's like, uh, I say this and then there's a question. I'm like, oh, wow, I haven't thought about that. You know, it's like, it's like provocative questions that sort of, you know, you, you, you've got that, that gift of, of, of asking the right questions. Uh, and I, I learned that, I learned that from you and I'm still trying to improve that. You know, if I can ask anything to 20% of the quality of questions you ask, I'll be doing really well. Ah, oh, Rita, thank, um, thank you. So yeah, into <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah, so in terms of my superpower, <laughs> it's it's um yeah it's 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 something I haven't really thought of, but uh, yeah, I, I would just want to make people feel better about themselves. I, I would just want people to to be happy. I, I, my superpower would be exactly that. Francois, are you having a bad day? You know, I touch you, I say something to you, and you, and you feel better. You know, I, I want people to feel better if they're in a bad situation. I just want to make people happy. You know, I think that's that would be the best way to sort of um, explain the superpower that I would love to have. You know, Superman could fly. 
Um, <laughs> I would love to make people happy. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> Rita, thank you once again for agreeing to chat with me on, on Fresh Perspective. Um, I really appreciate it. And thanks for all the insights. I'm sure there's a lot of young rugby players, but also um, you shared so much uh, wisdom in just in terms of life today. Um, once again, thank you for doing that. Um, and folks listening, remember if you change your perspective, you can transform your life and I uh, hope you gained as much as I did from what we just shared. Thanks a lot, brother. Thank you. Thanks, Franz. I really appreciate it. Eh? All the best.